National Guard, so I have to shave regularly when I go to drill and get a haircut, so I'm limited. But anyway, so I'm up here uh, today. We have a, a preaching team. Um, it's Gay, myself, and Ricky. Um, and in doing that, it gives us the ability um, to be trained up to then be sent out, uh, to multiply, to then go out. Um, just be up front. I'm pretty nervous. So, um, you know, the only way you kind of get kind of get better at this is you got to come up here and do it, right? Um, so I'm thankful for the opportunity. Um, and it's uh, just really awesome. So, um, so we've been in Luke for quite a while now, right? Uh, we've taken about a month or so off uh, for Advent and for some other things. Um, so we're back in Luke today. Uh, so I have the honor and the privilege to then kick Luke back off for this year. Uh, we will finish um, in around May, in the beginning of May, I think, is when we will finish. So to kind of give a brief overview um, of where we are in Luke, since it has been a while, is uh, we're in Luke chapter 20, verse 27. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going we're gonna to read that here in just a sec. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles um, on the ends of the rows. Uh, we want you here at the branch, we want you to see the scriptures um, as we move through them, as we talk about them and read them. We want you to see and understand for yourself. We want the spirit to move, uh, to move within you. So recap of Luke. So Luke, at the end of 19, uh, Jesus uh, made the triumphal entry, so a lot of people call it, um, into Jerusalem. Um, and effectively, he um, had a timer, right? So when he came into Jerusalem, they had less than a week to live. And he, he knew this. I mean, the time was very near at this point. So he came in, made the entry. He went straight to the temple and cleansed it, right? We, we heard about that well over a month ago, I guess. Uh, went in, cleaned house, right? And then after that, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes and some others came up and were challenging his authority. Um, and so that's, that's what we see throughout chapter 20 is Jesus' authority being challenged. Um, and so here we see the Sadducees. The Sadducees is the other side of the house. You have the Pharisees who are very conservative on a lot of things, and you have the Sadducees who are not. Um, and so here we are in Luke. But before we read, I want you to think about something throughout um, the rest of the time here about the resurrection. So how many of you, you can raise your hand, how many of you have seen um, some sort of image or picture of Jesus or, you know, somebody who would be, they're portraying as Jesus being on the cross, you know, looking really rough. Okay, so basically everyone in here, right? So we see this, um, maybe not so much in Baptist stuff, but you see it, right, throughout kind of Christianity in general. You see it. But I want to ask the question, why, why is that what we look at? Like, why is that the image that a lot of people want to portray? Some of you are probably getting a little nervous. Um, so before I continue on this train of thought, I want to make extremely clear that the cross is fundamental and essential to the gospel. Absolutely, 100%. I'm not taking away from that. But in, in showing this, right, I'm using this as an example, in showing the cross, right, what, what about the resurrection? Like, where is that? We're showing the world an image that we probably shouldn't make, but people do. And Jesus is hanging on the cross, right? It's an image. Showing the cross, which is important, absolutely. But we're showing them half of the gospel, half of the story. Where is the resurrection in that? And the claim that I'm making that I see in this text, and we're going to move through and hope and show you in other texts, but just to get it out there, let's think about the resurrection. With, if we only have the cross, Christ's work was not complete and finalized. 
until he was resurrected. So be thinking about that as we go through Luke. So Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 27. Strategically hit a water bottle back here, if you can't tell. Um, yep. Sadducees. So here we go. Luke 20, 27. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. You know, everybody has seven brothers, right? The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven had no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. Verse 34, And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being, underline that, being sons of the resurrection, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. So, so give some context uh, to what is happening here with the Sadducees asking this question. So as I said earlier, the Pharisees and, and those guys are kind of the conservative side of things, and the Sadducees are the more, you could say, liberal um, side of the house, of the Sanhedrin, right, of the, the leadership structure. That's kind of one way to think about it. There's a lot we can dive in on that, but uh, they're kind of the other side. So the Pharisees already struck out earlier in the beginning of chapter 20 in trying to attack Jesus' authority. They asked him a question about the baptism of John, and then Jesus turned around and asked them a question, and then they were like, oh boy, we are in a pickle. And so they came together and tried to come up with some reason, and regardless of whatever response they gave, they were going to look like fools. So they still looked like fools and said, um, yeah, we don't really know. So Jesus didn't answer their question. Here, though, and this is something that you know, kind of not, not bothered me, but I was just curious, like, why did Jesus answer the Sadducees' question, but not the Pharisees' question? It just, it's interesting. But, so a little information, I'm not sure what that is, a little information about the Sadducees, right? So they only, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, which is clearly an issue, right? They only believed in the books that Moses wrote. So that is why when they are quoting Moses, that is kind of their crutch, right? That's what they're holding on to is that they're making the claim, this is the Sadducees, making the claim that there is no resurrection, that Moses never said anything about the resurrection, therefore there is not, there isn't one, right? That is the claim that they're making. Um, this is kind of their argument back in, as I was reading about the historical context of these things, Pharisees and the Sadducees all like to talk about and argue about doctrine and this, that, and the other, right? The Sadducees, this was their argument, was there was no resurrection. Um, but notice in their question that they asked, it clearly says, like in, in Scripture, that they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? Yet they're asking a question about the resurrection. So they're asking a question about something they don't even believe in. They're twisting it. So the question they are asking has to do with the kinsman redeemer law or the Levirate marriage law in Deuteronomy 25, which kind of goes to show what they're saying is that um, the next of kin would then marry um, if one, is, one dies. So 
The whole question is ridiculous. They don't believe in the resurrection and they're twisting in scripture that is there with other scripture and making a big mess, right? So with that background knowledge in mind, let's read this one more time to get the question in our minds. So 27, there came to, there came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. So again, I want to point out the fact, this is important, that they are quoting Moses, right? They're trying to make the claim that Moses doesn't talk about the resurrection. We're going to get to more of that in a minute as we go through Jesus' response. So how did Jesus respond, right? This is important. They're making this ridiculous question, what does Jesus do? Right? We all like to ask that question. So let's look, verse 34. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. So notice with the question that they asked, the Sadducees were so focused on whose, whose wife will it be in heaven, but look at what Jesus did. He didn't say, oh, it was the first one or the fourth, or, you know, he didn't say that. He shifts the focus to what actually matters, which is their relationship to the Father. Notice in 35, but those who are considered worthy, those who are considered worthy, He's, he's essentially giving them a warning, like, you're so worried about these trivial questions about heaven, yet you have to be considered worthy to even get through the door. He shifts their focus to the resurrection and to the relationship with the Father. So those who are considered worthy, I want to make clear. So think of it as an umbrella. So those who are considered worthy in Jesus' response here, as we continue through the rest of what Jesus says, it's all linked in basically a chain that's all interconnected. So either you're under the umbrella of those who are considered worthy or you're not. And I wanna make very clear that those who are considered worthy, that none of us are considered worthy in our own power, in our own being. To quote Romans 3:10 through 12, it says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. We are dead in our sin, no one is worthy, but how do we become worthy? Who is worthy, right? Those who have placed their faith in Jesus and repented of their sin then become worthy because Christ's righteousness is then imputed onto us. That is how you are considered worthy. So I want to make it very clear. It's not about trying to live the good life and being a good person, anything like that. You will not be worthy. You will fall very short of the glory of God. The only way you get that is by saving faith in Christ on the cross and the resurrection. So he's, Jesus is shifting the focus, right? So the rest of this, I want to make clear, is, is all talking believers, right? Those who are considered worthy as we continue with Jesus' response and we talk about the resurrection, that is who he's talking to. So let's keep going. So those who are considered worthy, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So notice, I'm gonna work this backwards. So I want you to underline being because that's really important. We're gonna come back to it. So 
being sons of the resurrection, if you are that, you can go backwards, okay? If you're that, then therefore you are sons of God. Therefore, you are equal to angels. Therefore, you cannot die anymore. Therefore, you're not getting married and given to marriage, right? Therefore, you are considered worthy. So all is interconnected like a chain, okay? So it's going to continue throughout the scripture as Jesus gives us response. This is basically part one of Jesus' response. The next part is, actually, before we move on, being sons of the resurrection. I want you to think about the implications of that word being, what, what does that mean? We're going to come back to it. So I'm going to leave you, you know, cliffhanger alert. Um, we're going to come back to it. But be thinking through that because this is where we're going to come back to. So, but notice transition in Jesus' response. 37, he says, but, but that the dead are raised. So for me, I want to stop and talk about the word but in this case. Anytime you see the word but in Scripture, it's always important because there's always some sort of shift going on in the argument or in the text. So what, has anybody ever been in some sort of, you know, dialogue or argument or conversation with somebody and you had part one to what you were trying to, you know, make a claim to and then the, you know, the final blow was coming next but then they want to interrupt you before you can finish the thought, right? Has anybody ever, that ever happened, been interrupted, right? So the way I see this text moving through is it seems to be that as soon as Jesus said resurrection, and again, I'm, this is me, this is an assumption that I'm making of the text, but when he says, but, um, as soon as he said resurrection, I'm sure the Sadducees like, oh, but Moses. Moses didn't talk about that. Like, but notice what Jesus says, but that the dead are raised, even Moses. Oh, he's just like, no, no, I'm going to but and then say Moses because I'm actually going to knock the crutch out. The other thing, before we continue with this, yeah, you know, I was talking about if you only have one crutch and you're kind of hanging on it, right? The crutch being the Sadducees' argument for no resurrection is Moses. Well, what happens when, you know, you're standing there, you've got a crutch, and somebody walks up and kicks it out from under you? You fall on your face, right? This is what Jesus does. So why? Because they're holding their argument to Moses, right? So he's, he could talk about the, the prophets, the Psalms. He could talk about all the rest of Scripture, but they're going to just argue that, right? So they go straight to what they hold to be true, which is Moses. So let's keep going. So 37, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. Let's keep going. So, like I said, Moses was their hero, right? The Sadducees' hero. Jesus goes straight for this. And you're probably wondering, as I wondered when I read this text, all right, Jesus, like, what, what do you really, like, you're quoting Moses, I see that, but, but how does that prove anything about the resurrection? I mean, I don't, I don't know about y'all, if y'all were just, some of you Bible wizards out there may already know, but looking at the text just kind of in general, and as I looked over it many times, I was like, I, I know there's, I know it's there, but I don't, I don't really see it. There's something that I'm, that I'm missing. So in light of that, let's turn to the text that Jesus is quoting and see if we can get some context and understand the point he is trying to make. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus is in the Old Testament, the very first part of the Bible um, after Genesis. And so as you turn there, some context, uh, Moses, uh, God is um, coming to Moses and revealing himself. Um, he's calling him to then go back into Israel um, to then bring Israel out of slavery from Egypt. So this is the beginning of that interaction. 
Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw... When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Great response. Then he said, do not come near, for, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am. Please underline that. Uh, this is the text he's quoting. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So here we see in the passage, God comes to Moses in the burning bush and speaks to him, right? What does he say? I am. I want you to think about that. Like we see later in this same chapter, God revealing his name to Moses, the great I am, right? I am who I am. Tell Israel, I am has sent you. So, but here he's saying, he's making the claim and he said, this is, God speaking, I am the God of your father. Doesn't say I was the God of your father, because physically, sure, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob have been long gone at this point on earth, but God said, I am their God. I am meaning as back in Luke in verse 38 says, but God is not God of the dead, but of the living for all live to him. Right, see that? Because if there was no resurrection, God would have said, I was their God. Yeah, back in the day when they were alive, yeah, I was their God. But, you know, they're dead. They're, they're in a hole somewhere. That's, that was it. No resurrection, right? I was their God. But that's not what's said. I am. I hope that's hitting you the way it hit me. If it's not, then I'll probably look crazy. But one day, hopefully it will, Lord willing. Um, I am their God, right? Resurrection, I am. They are alive, alive in Christ, right? So let's keep going. So uh, we can go back to, uh, to Luke and let's keep, keep going. The implications of the I am statement is just profound. Even when God claims that to be his name, I feel like forever we're just going to not fully understand that. We're just going to keep learning what that, the implications of those two words mean. But anyway, we can, that's a different sermon. So in doing this, right, in quoting Moses and quoting this text, he's proving the argument that nobody could really figure out back in the day, right? Did Moses really speak of the resurrection? Is that really connected with the prophets and the Psalms and the rest of the scriptures? Yes, why? Because Jesus' authority over the scriptures is clearly shown in quoting this text, I am, I am their God. So let's go back to, oh, nope, here we go. So Jesus is making this point about the centrality and the importance of the resurrection. Why? Because without the resurrection, all we have is a dead guy hanging from a tree. That's all we got. There is no resurrection. That's all we have is a dead guy hanging from a tree. Do you believe that? If you don't, we're going to read some more scripture and hopefully you will. Um, so throughout scripture, the inspired authors wrote about the resurrection. The cross is essential and we absolutely must point ourselves and others back to it. Absolutely must do that. But we must not leave out the resurrection. 
We must not leave out the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, we absolutely must point others and ourselves back to the cross at all times, but we also must then finish and talk about the resurrection. The resurrection is what finalized and sealed Christ's redemptive work on the cross. Christ's redemptive work on the cross for our sin was accomplished on the cross, but it wasn't finalized and sealed until he was then resurrected from the dead on the third day. We have to keep this in mind. And some of you are wondering like, yeah, like I believe that. Like I, I don't dispute, I don't think many of you or any of you, maybe one or two, is disputing that there is a resurrection. But there's huge implications to our thinking of this. If we ignore in our thinking, even if it's just kind of a, a subconscious thing, we, we ignore the resurrection, we're only missing it. We're only seeing half of the gospel, half of what made all this possible, right? We have to keep this in, in view. And then as we continue to go through, I will hopefully show you in scripture why that's the case and what the implications are. But first, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. And let's look at what Paul has to say about the resurrection and to see if the claim that I'm making is too harsh or if it actually hits the mark. Hopefully it does. 1 Corinthians 15. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the Corinthian church. Paul's writing to the, a letter to the Corinthian church. Um, a lot of false teaching um, and various things going on. And so we're going to pick it up in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. So if you look at verse 12 with me. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. So, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So let's stop right there. So Paul is making clear um, in his letter that to us, we can see that some of them are saying there is no resurrection, right? So there's some people in the Corinthian church saying there is no resurrection. And then Paul gives his response to that very idea. So let's keep going. Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished and if Christ, and if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If there is no resurrection of the dead, well, we're not gonna get to the end and be like, oh, well, we still lived a good moral life. No, Paul is saying in scripture, we are the most to be pitied if there is no resurrection. The resurrection is key. Why? Because there is no atonement for sins. Christ's redemptive work on the cross atoned for our sins, paid the price we couldn't pay, took the wrath of God. But if there is no resurrection, then that actually didn't happen. It's just a dead guy died and that was it. There has to be the resurrection. And there is, praise God, there, he was raised from the grave, absolutely. But we have to keep that in mind. So, Let's go back to Luke, and I want to show you, hopefully, what the implications of this really is. Like, in our daily life, in our living, in our understanding of the gospel, if we only focus on the cross and then don't also think about the resurrection and what that means, we're only seeing half, and we're going to be stuck. So, look with me back in Luke. So, remember I said earlier, being sons of the resurrection, right? Being, 
being sons of the resurrection, active, right? It's a verb, actively being sons of the resurrection. Notice in 38, God is not God of the dead, but of the living for all live, live, living, you know, life, active, live to God, right? All live to God, living, being. We have to be actively sons of the resurrection. We have to actively live to God. So let's get some more, hopefully, Romans 6. If you turn me to Romans 6, hopefully this will give us some clarity on what this is getting at, what Jesus is getting at in Luke, saying being sons of the resurrection and living to God. Being alive, right? God is not God of the dead, but of the living. Romans chapter 6. This is Paul writing to the Romans, another epistle. All right, Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in his death, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him for the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a long, chat, long text. I want you to go study that this week. But let's look right here with, at verses 3 and 4. And hopefully this will help us get some illustration and some visuals going. So do you know, do you, verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So baptism, right? So this is, this is what Paul is discussing. So here, the good Baptists that we are, you know, we, we baptize, you know, believers baptism by full immersion, right? You know, hallelujah. So back in... Um, Yahula Creek, Yahula Creek Park, that's typically where we baptize. Um, so if, who here, who here, everybody's seen, bab most everybody here has probably seen baptism, right? So somebody's getting baptized, they're in the water, right? You were buried with him in baptism, you go underwater, full immersion, right? And then you were raised to walk in the newness of life, right? You probably heard that said before and probably seen that illustration. So I want you to think about this. If we only focus on the cross, we're focusing on the part where we were buried with him in baptism. We died to sin with Christ on the cross, right? This is Romans 6 is saying. We died, and then if we stop there and don't actively think about the implications of the resurrection, then we're still underwater. We're buried. We're either buried underwater, buried under dirt, concrete, whatever. It ain't good, you know, right? You're not living very well if you're buried. Buried with him in baptism, buried with him with his death. 
if we only stop solely on the cross, when we tell the gospel, when we think of the gospel, when we just think about all these things, if we stop there and don't actually think about the resurrection, we are still underwater. What do you do when you're underwater? Well, you're going to drown. Like, how many of you want to drown? Yeah, I'm not raising my hand. I'm just, you know, illustration. So I sure as heck did not want to drown. So, right, but that's how you're going to feel if we only stop there. We have to tell the second half of raise to walk in a what? Newness of life, living life, active, right? Just like back in Luke, being sons of the resurrection, living to God, right? Do I see that? So as we go out, right, as we live, we have to, I have no idea what that is, drive me nuts. Um, there it is again. Um, anyway, as we live, right, we have to live in light of the resurrection. Like, I want somebody here to make a resurrection, an empty tomb necklace. Like, cross necklaces are great. I'm not, I'm not saying anything wrong with that. But, but we need to remind ourselves of the resurrection. Like, where's, where's all that at? Like, you don't see that sold in stores. I don't really know why. But empty tomb, right? That is, that is the crux of all this, right? Um, we have to live in light of this. Because if you're not, we're still just, oh, yeah, we're, we're dead to our sin. Okay, but do you believe that you were made, that you were raised to walk in a newness of life? Do you get to that point in your thinking and understanding of the gospel, thinking and understanding of how you live every day, thinking and understanding of how you're going to live to glorify God with your life? We have to think about the resurrection actively and not take it for granted because it's essential. I got excited. I don't know where I'm at. Um, here we go. Um, yep, so some points, some, some kind of just some other closing thoughts as we start to kind of wrap up. We're saying we're no longer slaves, right? We're no longer slaves um, to fear, right? We were raised to walk in a newness of life. Sorry, they're flashing things at me and it's really distracting. Um, we're no longer slaves, right? If we are in Christ, if we have placed our faith in him, we are no longer slaves. Like we, Christ accomplished that on the cross. We have to live in light of that truth. Like I'm not making the claim that we're going to be perfect because we're not. We're still going to sin. Like that's still going to be prevalent in our life until we are finally glorified with the Father. But we can fight sin. We're not, sla we're not slaves to sin. And if we are in Christ, we're no longer slaves. Like let's hallelujah to that, right? Um, but that's all possible because of the resurrection, because Jesus finalized and sealed the redemptive work on the cross in his resurrection from the dead. So a couple more points. So Romans 8, 9 through 11, you don't have to turn there. If you want to, you can, but it says this. Again, this is Paul. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised, notice that, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So in light of the resurrection, right, if we place our faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, which is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. 
So if you are in Christ today, you have the Holy Spirit and you have the same power of God dwelling in you that raised Jesus from the dead. So when Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, gives us the great commission to go and make disciples, right? Teach, baptize, uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He ends that with saying, for I will never leave you, right? All authority on heaven and on earth is given to him. Go therefore, for I will never leave you or forsake you, right? It's staying with us. I'm probably, I didn't quote that directly, but you know what I'm saying. Go, you can go read it, right? He, he didn't leave us. He didn't go and ascend and then be like, all right, go figure it out. Like, go therefore. Like, y'all got this, all right? No. In light of the resurrection, he sent the spirit. We have the spirit within us, right? So we can go, we can fight sin. How? Through the word of God, through the spirit. That's how you fight sin. And I'm saying this to me just as much as to you because I have, I'll be the first to tell you, I have plenty of sins that I'm trying to fight through. So I need to hear this as much as anybody. But we can fight if we are in Christ. The, the last thing and then, and then we'll finish. The, we can taste eternity now. It's like, yes, the goal eventually is to then be in heaven with the Father forever and giving him praises and, and honoring and glorifying him, right? But, but the Holy Spirit dwells within, within us. God has given us a purpose in the Bible, in Matthew 28, in the gospel, to go and proclaim his name, right? To honor and glorify him with our lives. We can taste that now. Like it's, yes, the destination is, should always be in view of where we're headed, but so should the journey to get there. The journey to get there, the journey to get to our final destination is important. We don't say a prayer and get our get into heaven, get out of hell free card, stick it in our pocket and then be like, peace out brothers, I'm gonna go do my own thing. And then when it's time comes, I'm gonna swap my card and get in the door. Everybody's got, a, everybody's been a student somewhere has a probably not hearts card or something, right? Gets you indoors. Like you don't get that put in your pocket and then walk away from the faith and do your own thing for however long you're on this earth. Right, the journey to get there, the father is with us as we go out in light of the resurrection, right? newness of life we are living we go out and we live for God live to him last thing why is again why is all this important the resurrection is key to the mission of God Christ is the central focal point of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation and the cross is central to the mission of God to usher in the new covenant to make a people for himself to honor and worship him for all eternity this is so important because we can't stop at the cross. Again, I want to make this, the cross with no resurrection is just a dead guy hanging from a tree, which means everything falls apart. We the most be pity. But Christ was raised from the dead. As we go out today, take heart that that's not what happened, that he was raised from the dead and that we can go out therefore and live in newness of life in light of that truth. Live your life in light of the cross and the resurrection and live it to the glory of God. So now as we go into time of communion, so for the, for the believers, for the non-believers in the room, we're so glad you're here. Uh, but we ask that you respectfully ask that you allow us to partake in communion, uh, just us as believers. Um, we're, again, we're so glad you're here, but it is a time for us to reflect on um, as we break the bread that represents Christ's flesh and dip it in the juice that represents Christ's blood that was spilled on the cross for our sins and then was finalized and sealed in the resurrection, that we are taking that in remembrance of him together as the body of Christ. This is a very special time for us. Hopefully there's plenty of things for us to think about of how we can live in light of the resurrection as we go. So let us pray.
Father God, thank you for this day. Father, thank you for this time that we were able to come together and to hear your word. Father, I pray that as we go out this week, that we will listen and understand the implications and the power of the resurrection and the essential um, and how essential it is to our faith, both in the proclamation of the gospel to others and to ourselves as we live daily. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.